You're listening to Comedy Central. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Stephen Colbert here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is our podcast for The Late Show with my producer, Becca. Uh, Becca, how long have you been producing this podcast? I've been producing this podcast for two years now. And your favorite thing about it? The extended moments, for sure. Right, because sometimes I'll interview like a big star for 25 minutes. We can only put like 14 minutes on air. Where can people get that? On The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert, wherever you get your podcasts. And who produces that? Uh, I, I help out. It's a team effort. October 2nd, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. is an award-winning author and truly a fantastic writer whose new book is called Red at the Bone. It's gonna be a wonderful conversation. Jacqueline Woodson is gonna be joining us, everybody. Phenomenal, phenomenal book and conversation. You wanna stay tuned for that. Also on tonight's show, alligators could be joining the Border Patrol. Vladimir Putin exposes a secret and Donald Trump is getting impeached. Thank you, thank you, yes, I, uh... Thank you, I have, I, yeah, I have lost a little weight, thank you. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with the story that has been blowing up online today. It involves a zoo, a fence, and a woman who's seen The Lion King way too many times. From the category of lucky to be alive, take a look at this video of a woman who crossed a safety barrier at the Bronx Zoo here in New York and had a close encounter with a lion. The animal kept to itself, but the zoo said the woman's action was unlawful and could have resulted in serious injury or death. You gotta wonder what the lion's thinking here. Oh, I know what the lion's thinking. He's thinking, what the f are you doing, lady? There's a lion in here, can you not see it? I actually feel bad for that lion, because look how confused he is. He's got that look like when you're not sure if you just walked into the wrong bathroom, you know? Uh... Actually, you know what I think the lion was really thinking? The lion's looking at her like, what are you doing? You're black. (laughs) You don't need extra danger in your life, lady. What are you doing? And what you're doing right now is technically cultural appropriation. This crazy shit is for white people. You shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. Get out. (laughs) All right, moving on to some international news. Vladimir Putin, Russian president and man who thinks the notebook was a comedy. He has always denied meddling in America's 2016 election. But yesterday, he was asked if he's going to meddle in 2020. And his answer was refreshingly honest. Is Russia, as Robert Miller alleged, 
attempting to influence the 2020 elections in the United States? I'll tell you in a secret. Yes, we will definitely intervene. It's a secret so that everybody can laugh and uh, so we'll go big. But don't tell anyone, please. Oh, you got to love that classic Russian sense of humor. You know, threats. Yeah, it's just like, we're sending you to Siberia. Then after you live in 40 years in Siberia, we're like, that was funny, right? Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Actually, Putin is probably the funniest guy in Russia when you think about it. Because, I mean, it's easier to joke around when you're the only person in the country not afraid of being killed by Vladimir Putin. <laughs> if you go on Russian Netflix, he's got all the top stand-up specials, yeah. <laughs> and his stand-up is great, though. He's just like, women die from poisoning like this. Ah. But men die from poisoning like this. Ah. White people drive car like this, but the black people do not live in Russia. <laughs> all right, and finally, let's move on. To Tesla. It's the car for people who want to save the environment, but still want people to think they're assholes. And while every new Tesla is a technological wonder, there are still a few bugs in the system. Tesla's smart summon promises to allow your car to drive to you or a location of your choosing from 200 feet away, with no one behind the wheel as long as the car is in sight. For Tesla, the ride of the future may have just hit a pothole. This morning, videos of the car company's autonomous feature whoa, 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 whoa. failing and fueling online criticism. Jeez, what's the deal? With motorists shocked by near misses, <sighs> costly clips, and potentially dangerous crashes. With startled pedestrians chasing after empty vehicles, Okay. Tesla's latest cutting-edge software is driving concern into high gear again. Oh, man, I love how that guy's chasing... That car's driving itself! Hold on! <laughs> but this is... This is really a problem. I mean, I thought Uber drivers were bad at picking me up. Now you gotta call up your own car like, hey, it's me, it's me. I'm at the corner. No, just south of the people you just mowed down on the sidewalk. Yeah. No, go straight. No, that's a daycare center. Keep going. <laughs> like, here's the thing. Cars are not smart enough to give them this feature. And people are definitely not smart enough to have this feature, all right? Because think about it. People already drive drunk. Now, what if you're drunk inside of like a casino and then you accidentally summon your car? That's just not gonna end well. <laughs> Honestly, I think we should stop giving cars features you don't need. It's cool that a car can drive itself, but you don't need like a car that drives itself in the parking lot. You know, it's useless features like when they put speakers in the trunk of a car. Huh? Why do I need my grocery bags to hear Adele? I don't. Huh? I don't need my ice cream getting that emotional, all right? Just leave it normal. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. If you've ever watched President Trump, and if you've watched him lately, it's clear the impeachment battle has been getting to him. For one, he's tweeted 276 times since Pelosi announced the impeachment inquiry last week. And he's been in such a bad mood that even watching Fox News hasn't cheered him up. He's just like, yes, I am the best leader, Judge Jeannie, but why does everyone hate me? <laughs> well, today, Trump's rage moved from his Twitter feed to real life, where during a press conference with the leader of Finland, he did not react well to the barrage of impeachment questions. His son walks out with millions of dollars. The kid knows nothing. You know it, and so do we. Go ahead, ask it's, a question. The, the, the question, sir, was what did you want President Zelensky to do about Pre Vice President Biden and his son, Hunter? Are you talking to me? 
Yeah, it was just a follow-up of what I just asked listen, you, sir. Listen, you ready? We have the president of Finland. Ask him a question. I have one for him. I just wanted to follow up on the one that I asked you, which did was, you hear what me? did you want Did you hear me? Yes, Ask sir. him a question. I, I will, but... I've my- given you a long answer. Ask this gentleman a question. Don't be rude. No, sir, I don't want to be rude. I just wanted you to have a chance to answer the question. Ask the president of Finland a question. Wow. Trump was really pissed off there. One minute he was a president, the next second he turned into a spray-tan Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> Ask the president of Finland a question. I double dare you, mother <laughs> Ask him a question. Ask him a question. You know what? You know what would have been amazing? Is if the Finnish president got a question, but then threw Trump under the bus. He's like, actually, I would be interested to hear your answer on the Joe Biden's case. You screwed me again, Finnish guy. Now, please, don't get me wrong. I don't want you to think that Trump didn't want to answer questions at this press conference. No. He only wanted to answer the questions that he liked. Okay, what's your second question? So, just well, you shouldn't I... be answer, asking two questions. Well, right? you're going to want to answer... Do me a favor. You're... Ask ask one of the... I will, but I think, pre- you want, John, I think you'll want to ask, answer John, this question. ask sir. one of the Finnish president. And then can I come back to you? Because I think you'll want to we'll answer We'll talk this later, question. sure. Uh, well, it sounds like it might be a good question. Let me see if I like the question. Go ahead. There, Maybe for the first time in three years, I'll have a good question, and I'll there, love it. There is a report that came out just before you and President Ninishta walked out here that the whistleblower met with a staff member of Adam Schiff prior oh, I to love that question. being filed. It shows that Schiff is a fraud. And I, I love that question. Thank you, John. So, thank you, John. That has to be one of the quickest emotional U-turns I've ever seen, right? Because one minute, he wanted nothing to do with that journalist's question. The next minute, it was Trump's favorite question in the entire world. Like, Trump treated that journalist the way people treat waiters, you know, who keep offering the same hors d'oeuvres over and over again. People are like, I told you, I don't want the goddamn crab cakes. I don't want the... Oh, is that with a deviled egg? Oh, yeah, yeah. I like... Mmm, <laughs> mm, thank you, John. <laughs> so, the past few weeks clearly haven't been Trump's favorites. Impeachment is consuming his life. His poll numbers are dipping again. And on top of all of that, the failing New York Times has reported this. Well, breaking news tonight, an exclusive report in the New York Times documenting the lengths to which sources say President Trump was prepared to go to stop migrants crossing the southern border. He wanted the wall electrified with spikes on top that could pierce human flesh. The New York Times reports that privately the president had often talked about fortifying a border wall with a water-filled trench stocked with snakes or alligators. That's right. The New York Times is reporting that President Trump wanted to build a moat along the border wall, which was going to be filled with snakes and alligators, which I know sounds crazy, but to be fair, it's been very effective at keeping him out of Melania's bedroom. (laughs) That's probably where he got the idea. I mean, it's either that or it's because his top immigration advisor is an actual reptile. Great idea, Mr. President. (laughs) My cousin could use the work. (laughs) Now, according to the report, According to the report, Trump wasn't just coming up with World of Warcraft upgrades to his wall. No, he was also lashing out at his aides when he felt that they weren't making progress on securing the border. In late March, President Trump publicly threatened to close the U.S.-Mexico border. But according to The Times reporters, in a March meeting, the president's advisors tried to turn him away from such a drastic move. He responded, you're making me look like an idiot and shouted, I ran on this. It's my issue. The president reportedly berating then-Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen, saying, quote, Lou Dobbs hates you. 
and Coulter hate you. You're making me look bad. Wow, that is so sad. Imagine caring that much about what Lou Dobbs and Ann Coulter think of you. I mean, that's one step away from being like, you better not embarrass me in front of the Mucinex booger, I swear to God. <laughs> Ask him a question. <laughs> now, the part of the Times report that's really blowing up is that Trump apparently suggested shooting migrants in the leg to slow them down as they were trying to cross the border, which is not just a crazy idea, it's also illegal. And apparently, Trump had a lot of illegal ideas. In fact, my favorite example is when he told a room of Border Patrol agents to just turn away every asylum seeker who showed up at the border. And then get this, as soon as Trump left the room, the head of Border Patrol told everyone else to ignore the president. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you realize the only organization where the top guy gets ignored like that is McDonald's, right? <laughs> No, because Ronald is always like, remember, our top priority is making people smile. Hoo-hoo! <laughs> and then he leaves, and the manager's like, forget that shit. We're here to move beef, you hear me? <laughs> now go kick the soft serve machine and make sure it still doesn't work. <laughs> now, some of you might be hearing these reports and thinking, oh, I'm sure the president didn't really mean all this stuff, and maybe he was just joking about the alligators and the snakes, but it doesn't seem like that. Like, the moat filled with snakes and alligators. Apparently, it was real enough that his aides actually went out to seek a cost estimate. <laughs> yeah, they actually got a quote for the moat, <laughs> which also sounds like the name of the most xenophobic Dr. Seuss book ever. <laughs> I mean, can you just imagine being the Trump aide who had to call around to figure out how much it would cost <laughs> to fill a border moat with snakes and alligators? Well, luckily, you don't have to imagine because here at The Daily Show, we have the exclusive audio of that call. Thanks for calling Petco. How can I help you? Yeah, um, can I get a quote for how much it would cost for 2,000 miles of snakes? Uh, we don't really sell snakes by the mile. Okay, how about alligators? I need a southern border amount of alligators. Make sure the alligators hate Mexicans. What do your alligators think about Mexicans? We definitely don't sell alligators. We have birds, fish, and gerbils, stuff like that. All right, fine. Give us 2,000 miles of gerbils. Hate Mexicans. Gerbils who hate Mexicans. Breaking news, we'll be right back. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. My guest tonight is the best-selling author of more than two dozen award-winning books, including the National Book Award. Her new novel is called Red at the Bone. Please welcome Jacqueline Woodson. (laughs) 
welcome to The Daily Show. Thank you. And can I just say, as someone who grew up living in books, I, like, nothing gives me more joy than seeing writers treated like rock stars. (laughs) Genuinely, I love it. Like, like, people love what you do. People really love what you create. This book is just being met with so much praise and so many accolades, read at the bone. It's a story of two families Mm -hmm. who are brought together because of a pregnancy. But it's also the story of class and of race. And when you're compiling a story like this and you're you're telling this this tale, is it hard for you to combine all of those elements or do you just tell the truth and it it comes through? I think it's a combination. It's hard and I tell the truth and it comes through. And I think one thing that happens is the story begins to evolve. The more I put those characters on the page, the more I figure out about them, the more complex the story becomes. And that became a very complicated story. It also feels like... When you tell the story, you, you, you rely on the, the reader to do work for themselves, you know? So, for instance, if, you, if you're reading this book, it, it, it starts in a familiar place, you know? It's, it's, it's human beings. I mean, that's what most stories are. It's human beings, it's love, it's family, and then there's the conflict, you know? There's, there's this pregnancy. But what's interesting is not a lot of people would, would think of a world where there's a black family that doesn't like another black family mm-hmm. and they're separated by class. Yeah, and it happens. I think um, one thing that I was trying to talk about in Red at the Bone is, um, is black wealth versus black income, and mainly how this country has again and again annihilated black wealth. And so when someone is able... Oh, shucks. Is that your... F- yes. Oh, your mind. Oh, no, no worries. We can okay. still hear you. That's fine. When someone's able to um, hold on to their wealth, what does that look like? And when someone is not, what does that look like? And so it made sense to have these two families come together to create that conflict. Right, you, you, you talk about black wealth or you tell the story in and around it. Mm-hmm. But what are you hoping the reader will take away from that? You know, like, what are you hoping a young kid who might read the book would take away from the story? I'm hoping first and foremost that they have a good story. I think one thing that happens when you read a book that makes you think, it changes you as well. It creates empathy. Um, it creates understanding of people who you might not otherwise meet in the world. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I hope the takeaway is. I hope there's a great scholar named Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop, and she talks about the importance of kids having both mirrors and windows in their books. And so this is an adult book, but it creates the same thing. It creates windows for the people who come to that book and right. see themselves in it. And also windows for people who would never meet characters like the ones that exist in that book. It, it, it is interesting because, you know, you're known for children's literature. Mm-hmm. And I, I know it sounds weird to say, but it feels like you wrote this book for the child in us. It's not a difficult read, but it is a difficult subject for many people to talk about. Some people say, oh, no, why do you write about these things? And I mean, and I mean it's similar topics that you write about in your children's books as well. Why do you feel it's important to have those topics spoken about? Why do you, why do you write about difficult subjects? Because they exist. And I think one thing that happens when you have a book that can tell a story this way, people have some place to go to to begin a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what books are so great at doing, is getting us to talk um, and kind of taking away some of the fear about the conversation. I think people, it's hard for people to talk about race, it's hard for them to talk about economic class, sexuality, gender, all of these different points of views. And when you have a book, you can say, well, let's start by talking about Red at the Bone and what happened in there. And maybe this happened to me or maybe this happened to my friend. And so you can begin to gather and have these conversations across difference. Right, it, it, it really is. I mean, that's, that's how I've seen the world. That's how many people see the world. Like you, you read a book 
Mm-hmm. You feel like you know the characters. You feel like you know the world of the characters. And interestingly enough, you become more, fam- you become comfortable with it. Yes. You know, I used to think that magic was a, a horrible thing, and then Harry Potter changed my views on all of that. <laughs> now I understand it. I genuinely am more open to it. <laughs> it feels like that is what you're doing with race, with sexuality, with with genders, with identities. It's a, it's a powerful story to tell. If somebody reads this book and they just love the story, what is the one thing you you hope subconsciously will happen to them when they think about the journey black people have had in America with regards to their wealth? Ooh, that's such a great question. (laughs) I try. I I would love for there to be more empathy in this country. You know, I would love for people to really see each other. And what I hope people take away, again, is first and foremost, a good story that really makes them feel something and Mm -hmm. think something and change some kind of way. Um, and so I hope they fall in love with the characters in there and it um, makes them want to create some kind of change. Um, whether that's change around people's economic status, whether that's change about how they look at people from different economic statuses, whether it's change about how, you know, if it's white folks coming to this book, how they think about black folks, that, whether it's black folks coming, that they know the history of what happened in black communities right, around economic right. um, struggles. So lots of different stuff, depending on who's coming to the narrative. I honestly think you'll achieve that and a hundred more things. It's one of the most amazing books ever. Thank you so Thank much for being you. on the show. Yeah. Red at the Bone is available now. Please, go and get the book. Go read the story. Jack and Wilson, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Stephen Colbert here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is our podcast for The Late Show with my producer, Becca. Uh, Becca, how long have you been producing this podcast? I've been producing this podcast for two years now. And your favorite thing about it? The extended moments, for sure. Right, because sometimes I'll interview, like, a big star for 25 minutes. We can only put, like, 14 minutes on air. Where can people get that? On The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert, wherever you get your podcasts. And who produces that? Uh, I, I help out. It's a team effort.